Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Star Trek books. They've been around for decades. Join us, the Trek ladies, Kavora and Jen, as we discuss the novels one at a time. Welcome to the Ladies' Trek Library. This book we're reviewing today is Star Trek The Captain's Table, book six, and this one is on Christopher Pike. So um, here's uh, the, uh, the brief summary description of the book. There's a bar called The Captain's Table where those who have commanded mighty vessels of every shape and era can meet, relax, and share a friendly drink or two with others of their calling. Sometimes a brawl may break out, but it's all in the family, more or less. Just remember, the first round of drinks is always paid for with a story, fishy or not. Oh, that's funny. It said, in general, fishy or not, but we know what this story is about. Okay. Years before Kirk took command, Captain Christopher Pike guided the Starship Enterprise on a five-year mission. Pike's journey took him to many new and unexplored realms, none more strange or perilous than a devastated star system where huge space-faring life forms, vital to the survival of one inhabited star system, wreak havoc on the humanoid inhabitants of the other. Captain Picard must, ugh, Captain Pike must thrust the Enterprise into deadly danger as he fights to save one innocent civilization without dooming the other. So there it is. And, and also let me just, so, so this is a Captain Pike story. And we, we know the Captain Pike story a little bit, but, um, let me just go through a little bit of the, the timeline that I got on the internet. And I think this is just general if some of these Years might be off by one or two years, but Pike was on three ships before serving under Captain April as his first officer. Captain April was the first captain of the Enterprise. In 2250 was when Pike becomes captain of the Enterprise. 2254 is when the episode The Cage happened. 2257 is when Discovery Season 2 happens. 2265 is where no man has gone before happens. So that was about the time that Pike, uh, handed over command of the Enterprise to Kirk. And, um, and then Pike became the fleet captain. And this book takes place sometimes while Pike is the, the fleet captain of Starfleet. And it was the late 2260s when Pike had the, uh, the radiation accident where he became an invalid. Okay. So, um, Jen, do you want to give us your general thoughts on the book? Okay, well, I'll start off with, um, this was the first book in the Captain's Table series that I'd read. So uh, maybe people who had read other books in the series are familiar with the format, but I wasn't. Um, but I found an interesting format, uh, which started with Captain Pike, uh, you know, stumbling into this bar that was like an odd mix of like a 19th century fisherman's wharf bar combined with like a 23rd century, you know, space station bar. Um, and the chapters alternate, uh, taking place back and forth between Captain Pike telling his story at the bar and then the events of the story. Um, I have to say that just in to sum up a general thoughts without going 
too deeply into the story itself. Uh, I found the scenes in the captain's table, the name of the bar, really interesting. Um, and, and like those chapters, even though those were pretty short compared to the other ones. Um, but the story itself uh, that Captain Pike was telling about his adventure uh, didn't really hold my interest as much. And I really had a hard time getting into that storyline. I kind of had to force myself to finish the book because I just wasn't as interested in those chapters. Well, that yeah. That's interesting. I kind of, I enjoyed the book. I thought, I thought that both stories were good. The frame story and the, uh, the story, uh, with Pike's adventure. Um, I did enjoy it, even though it was, it, it did seem kind of a, um, a casual story. I mean, it, it wasn't deep. Um, I think this was, this was more like a light summer reading type of book. And I usually prefer the, the deeper stories, you know, like maybe something that went more into Pike's, uh, thoughts and his his reservations about command and things like that but but to me it was an enjoyable story yeah i agree as far as the light-hearted um you know and because of the format of this book which was captain pike telling a story it it's you couldn't really go deeply into you know so you can't be like a typical story where you know what different characters are thinking and you go deeply into their thoughts this was basically just him telling a story so even Though everything was from his point of view, we really even didn't get a lot of his deep thoughts either because he was mostly recounting the, the action scenes. Um, so yeah, in that sense, it's much, you know, more action oriented and a lighter story than, than some others. Yes, it was. And oh, and this, this was also my first, uh, Captain's Tables book as well. And this one was supposed to be the last in the series. Um, and, and I will say it's just interesting because of what they did at the very end, they, they they started going to Captain Kirk at, at the end of the book, and what what I read about it was that that is actually the first Captain's Table book. They make it wrap back around to the first book, and that was just something that that the editor wanted to do. The writer of the book wasn't really happy with doing it that way, but he did because he was told to. Um, but but yeah, but reading the book, it, it's very strange when you see that and you don't know why they did that. Like why did it just go to Captain Kirk all of a sudden? Ah. Okay, well, that, that explains it. That happens often when the editor, you know, tells the writer they have to do something, and then you kind of explain why something is in there that maybe doesn't seem like it fits. So. Yeah, yes. Um, so, so I will say something interesting about the book. I, I do like the use of, of Yeoman Colt in this book. And, and, and I've, like, she's also been in some of the, they have been, there have been Pike um, comic books, and it seems like a lot of the comic writers like to use Colt as well. I guess because she she is an interesting character because she's so young and innocent, and so she's different from a lot of the other Starfleet officers. Uh, but in this book, she's she's used very well. She gets sent on the the uh, the shuttlecraft with Pike, and she was the one that had the idea to use the shuttlecrafts because she thinks maybe maybe the the uh titans as the uh the giant fish whales are called um maybe the titans can only detect um larger vessels and maybe they won't see or bother someone something as small as a shuttlecraft so um I, and i do like that idea and the, and then we get invested in her character so when she gets injured in this book th- then we actually feel for her yeah i agree it was a she was a pretty much i would say the main character aside from Captain Pike in the action sequence uh, storyline. Um, and I had not, 
I haven't read any of the comics or other novels where she was featured in it. Um, but it was an interesting use of her. And interestingly enough, number one was pretty much a, a minor character in this book. She really had maybe a couple of lines, um, but wasn't really involved in the action the way uh, she was. So, yeah, that was interesting. But there were a lot of interesting characters in this book. Um, I don't know if we want to talk about them first before we get okay. into the chapters, but we have some of the chapter uh, characters at the bar, which were like, a, there was a Klingon woman named Home Pack, who uh, it's eventually revealed seems to come from a, a future centuries ahead of Captain Pike, and uh, she's got the Klingon with the forehead ridges, and the author makes note several times that Captain Pike can't understand why this Klingon woman has these forehead ridges. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, and that was interesting that he he knows she's a Klingon, even though she doesn't look anything like the Klingons of his time. Yeah, I wondered that too. Like, how does he know she's a Klingon if she looks different? Oh, she's wearing the Klingon clothing. Okay, but she's got she doesn't look like a Klingon. But she was an interesting character. And then there was like a another character in the bar was this cat-like woman. And uh, then there was the the old sea captain from the from the 19th century, who that that was the most interesting and obvious sort of uh, character trying to reference some other books because he went by the name of uh, No Wan, which was what he told his uh, told Captain Pike his name was N O W A N, um, which was a clear reference to Captain Nemo from. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, because Nemo is Latin for nobody. Ah, yes. And and he was the one that, that said, tell a story, wasn't he? Or was it the bartender that said it? But but no one was very interested in Pike's story. Yeah, I believe it was no one. He's the one that first started uh, talking to Captain Pike. Um, so those, those characters, and then the bartender... Um, those are the characters, main characters in the bar that are listening to Pike's story. And then on the Enterprise, uh, you, we mentioned already, um, we've got the, the yeoman, and then minor character number one. And then just in a strange coincidence, the navigator's name happens to be Tyler, <laughs> um, which is fitting for time into Discovery. That was funny too, but you know Tyler was was actually on there. What there was um, a Joe Tyler under Captain Spike command, so it, it's just a coincidence that yeah there was already a Tyler established on the ship, but there's also a Tyler now on Discovery. Oh, I totally forgotten that Tyler was actually a character in the Captain Pike because it's been a while since I've seen. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. And then uh, we have also, of course, Dr. Boyce, and then uh, we've got the two aliens, Perry and Leonard. And and the two aliens were, were pretty good. They were antagonists. They were both um, from the same race but different planets. Yeah, they were. those were interesting. And I guess we can get more into that when we get into, like, the actual details of the ship. But, yeah, they, they kind of reminded me of the – and I – Terrible with episode names, but the original series episode with the uh, two aliens who were half white and half black, and they were, you know, black and white on different sides, and they're really the same race of aliens, but they were antagonistic towards each other. Yes. And they kind of reminded me of those two. Let that be your last battlefield was the episode. 
Okay. Uh, oh, but one other, oh, I forgot to mention one other thing that, uh, number one, although she's not really a major character in the story, they, he did, the author did mention at the beginning of the story that number one's last name is Leffler. And I think that's the only novel, I haven't read any of the comics, but as far as in the novels go, I think that's the only time that she's ever, you know, mentioned under that name. Yeah, I thought that was a strange name for her. I don't know where, I mean, they could have gotten it from the next generation. There was a Leffler on there. And this, this book came out in 1998. So it was, yeah, it was after TNG. So they, maybe they wanted to make her related to, um, Robin Leffler from TNG. Oh, you know, I, I mean, I remember Robin Leffler from TNG. It didn't even occur to me that, yeah, maybe they want to make number one like her, uh, you know. But, yeah, but it's strange. <laughs> And also Spock was in the book, but he didn't really have a major part in it either. No, he he was also sort of, he was kind of like around, the, I'd say about, got the same amount of time in there as uh, Dr. Boyce, which wasn't very much at all. It was mostly Captain Pike and the Omen. Yes, and the um, and the alien characters. So uh, do we want to get into the story? So we had the... This was mostly about the Titans, and the Titans are these space-faring animals, and the, um, so the people on one planet, I mean, because the Titans can actually, they're capable of warp drive within themselves, and so the people on one of these planets actually ride the Titans, they use the Titans instead of spaceships. Yes, so... I guess we can start off getting into spoilers, um, which is that the Enterprise is called out to um, this planet um, by the alien Perry, or maybe not specifically by him, but he's like the representative of the government, um, because these um, spacefaring whales, um, or titans as they call them, who they have domesticated in order to travel uh, interstellar, uh, have disappeared and they asked for the enterprise's help in finding out what happening, find, finding out what's happened to these uh, whales who apparently go to a breeding ground um, and usually come back, but have not come back. And so they find out that they just went to a neighboring planet, which is where we get the other, the yes. antagonistic race to the first race. Yes. So they, reach the second planet and discover that uh, these titans are being exterminated by these aliens who are in these very primitive uh, ships that aren't warp capable and they're setting off nuclear warheads trying to kill them, um, which is very upsetting to the alien Perry. And Captain Pike and the crew try to intervene to stop the titans from being killed. Um, and eventually they beam aboard one of the pilots of this ship, uh, whose name is Leonard. And when he comes aboard, he gives them some more information, and they learn that Perry was actually not being completely honest with them. So we find out that they're the the Titans. I still want to call them whales, but the Titans are actually. But they're. I mean, they're like these space. Fish, they're more like fish because they're, they're not mammals because they lay eggs, which is a big part of this story. They, they, they lay their eggs on the planet, was it, uh, Divernia. That is where L- Lanid is from. Yeah, 
that that's the race where so this is where all the uh, titans are right now around the planet davernia and they're they lay their eggs on, on in the planet because it's it's a planet with an atmosphere that's what they're looking for and their eggs just fly down to the planet and 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 you know so nobody knows like they it it might land on people it might kill a lot of people and they are these giant eggs to the to the people yeah so the the eggs they captain pike and some of the crew beam down with both aliens landed and perry uh to davernia to see what's happening and they see these eggs are you know landing on the planet and hatching and killing people and many people have died and the planet is basically under constant attack from these eggs um and the the alien from the other planet perry uh you know he doesn't want them to keep killing these titans because their planet is using them to travel on um but they can't seem to come to a resolution he he's telling People of Davernia, oh, you need to domesticate them, um, and then they'll leave you alone. But he doesn't really understand the gravity of the situation and how, how many people are being killed. So Captain Pike takes both of them aboard, and they decide to go in search of these Titans' home planet or home area to see if they can learn more about them and what they could maybe do to um, stop them from causing so much destruction. And when they go out into space and they, and then they do find a lot of more other titans and other, uh, similar aliens out in space, it, it was interesting that they could find so much, like, oh, these titans have really migrated to, to several other systems. Yeah, they found the titans had basically gone through multiple star systems and caused complete devastation. Um, and this is, this is where I probably got bogged down and where it was difficult for me to get through. There were just a lot of long, what I felt were long protracted battle scenes between the Enterprise trying to get away from the Titans. Um, and also some, I don't, I don't know if you, I guess you could call it techno babble, but it was more like biological techno babble um, about, you know, learning about the Titans and their eggs and what they're made out of and what they feed on and, why they're causing this destruction. Uh, and eventually, I guess, Spock and Dr. Boyce learn that uh, the ecosystem that they uh, normally inhabit or their original you know, area where they inhabited before they moved on to the Davernia system uh, had become sort of out of balance um, because there's normally different species in the ecosystem. There are these even larger creatures called the Kraken who normally eat the titans and then there are also smaller feeder fish and plankton um but somehow this they've all become out of balance and the titans have sort of become overpopulated and are causing all this destruction it looks like yeah i i think the titans left they left one area of space to another just just to get away from the predators they found a way to get away from their predators and their and so their numbers are are in the millions but but also what we find out is that that it looks like that all of these species are actually um genetically engineered and and they do find a planet where there there had been some other life forms but the other life forms had died thousands of years ago but it looks like these other aliens created um this whole ecosystem j- just to be to be guards to guard um the the tombs of these people who had died a long time ago 
Yeah, that part actually was very interesting. After having to force myself to go through all these chapters of, you know, just sort of battles against the Titans and then battles against the Kraken, uh, then we find that while Captain Pike and Yeoman Colt and the way team were, uh, you know, on this mission that number one and the other rest of the crew had stayed behind the Enterprise had uh, found a planet where they basically had discovered that these uh, aliens who had been dead for a million years or so had genetically engineered all of these species to protect their tombs. Um, so that was the interest. That was I was not expecting that as you know as an ending. That that was actually pretty interesting to me. That these were all just sort of created as a way to say keep away. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's a lot of trouble to go through just for something like that. It, it is. And, um, it also brings up the issue of like the, the treatment of, of animals. I mean, the, the, um, what was it? The Aronians were the, the first race that we mentioned that, that actually ride the Titans for their, in, in lieu of spaceships. And I guess the Titans were not described as sentient in this. They're just, um, they're more, they go more by instinct and they are genetically engineered. And, and they probably didn't have this uh, warp speed capability to begin with. That was probably part of the engineering. But it, it was never said, like, whether or not it was okay for them to... It, what, did anybody think it was not okay for them to actually use these Titans for warp speed? Yeah, I, I thought that whole issue was kind of interesting that they didn't address it. Um, well, first, that, that the people from um, that planet had gained entry into the Federation... You know, because in order to join the Federation, you have to be work-capable. And uh, they weren't really work-capable. I mean, all they were doing was attaching these little capsules to the back of these Titans and, fly, you know, sort of riding them the way one would ride a horse or something. Um, and the Federation didn't hadn't noticed. And I thought that was kind of funny. Like, they admit them as a member of the Federation, but they don't realize they're not on spaceships. They're just riding these genetically engineered creatures. Well, I thought it was strange, you know, because once they told Pike and Pike said, you know, like they were afraid the Federation wouldn't like it if, if, if they found out that that's how they had warp speed. And Pike said, no, that that's actually okay. I mean, we don't mind that you got warp speed that way. And I thought, I'm not sure if that's really the the way it would happen in an episode. I mean, I, um, I, I think that probably would make a difference to, to the Federation. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought exactly the same thing. Like, Pike was just like, oh, yeah, no, it's okay. You know, you got work speed. It doesn't matter that it's not really yours. But I thought, okay, maybe there's a difference between a species that comes across some spacecraft that they didn't design and they're using that. But they didn't really even come across spacecraft. They're just sort of riding animals. Um, so I yeah, did see them. Yeah, they never, they never developed their actual technology for warp speed. Yeah, so that was a little like, hmm, okay, I, I don't know if I necessarily believe this is how an episode would play out. But I guess the author wanted to do the whole Moby Dick thing and, you know, the, so. But I, I also questioned that. Um, and, and also that it was never taught, like, there was a scene early on where Captain Pike beamed down to the planet Divernia and he sees the, uh, the egg lands and it's about to hatch and the Divernians are all ready to kill the egg, um, or kill the creature as it comes out of the egg and Captain Pike says, no, you know, stop, we don't want to do this. 
and he realizes they're going to do it anyway. So then he gets out of his phaser, and him and he instructs his away team to to kill the the creature as it's coming out of the egg. And that also struck me as not necessarily in fitting with the theme of Star Trek. Um, I mean, later on we see when the creatures are trying to kill them. That's another thing. But it was like a pretty gruesome scene where this hatchling creature is just trying to break out of its egg and Captain Pike and his crew are just kind of killing it. Um, so it was kind of, you know, I questioned that and I questioned that Pike was okay with the fact that at the end of the book, um, they, you know, decide they're going to, the way that they end up sort of resolving it is having, uh, bringing the, the other creatures in the ecosystem over to the other planets uh, so that there'll be a balance and the Titans won't uh, overpopulate. Um, and the Devernians are going to keep, you know, using them um, for travel. And kind of, Pike just kind of didn't really see an issue with that. And I don't know if that's because of the prime directive. He felt like he didn't want to interfere. But then again, they're a member of the Federation. So the prime directive shouldn't really apply. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. That that bothered me a bit. It looked like Pike was just trying to help them solve their problem. And when he was back in the bar and they asked him, well, well, did did it work? Did did the you know, did it help restore their ecosystem? And Pike said he he said it he never heard anything back, so it probably worked. I mean, it, it looks like he's you know, he he never heard the, any complaints about it, so it it must have worked. They must have restored everything, so it everything just went back to normal. Yeah, and that all seemed odd too. I mean, it was like, well, I mean, I guess you know we see that a lot on Star Trek. They solve the problem in the episode, and then you never hear again about what happened. You know? Yeah. Um, and it leaves you wondering, but um, that that seemed a bit odd to me too, considering the Titans or any of those species were not native to the. Divernian system and um, they were genetically engineered. It seemed like they could have found a, a different solution. Um, yeah, that's why maybe I didn't like the, the those sections as much. Um, but I did really enjoy the, the ones at the captain's table um, and there was some interesting humor in that, uh, which sometimes I thought was really funny. Um, little allusions to things that Captain Pike doesn't know about because he's from the 23rd century and clearly some of the people in the bar are from later centuries and this Klingon woman, Compec, you know, makes reference to, she doesn't mention Voyager by name, but she, you know, tells Captain Pike that there's going to be a ship lost in the Delta Quadrant and she does mention Q, Trelane, the Borg, and Tribbles. Um, so that was kind of fun to have all those little references in there yes and the, and then how could how could she know about some of these things how did a klingon know about voyager or and didn't she also seem to know pike's future the about the radiation accident well i assume she was from like either the 24th or the 25th century um you know when the klingons and the federation are at peace so she you know probably would have heard about voyager uh, i guess captain pike is so famous that she probably heard of him too. I mean, maybe that's a stretch. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. It could be, yes. Because <laughs> she did know. She kind of, you know, she basically told Captain Pike she knew what was going to happen to him and that he would end up being buried on Talos 4, although she wouldn't give him the details. 
But, uh, and, you know, obviously she would have known about the Borg, but I don't know how she would have necessarily known about Q or Trelane. Um, and unless the Federation warned the Klingons about them just because, you know, because Q could show up anywhere, you know. That's true. Uh, but I, I really liked her character. Um, I, I did find, though, that one thing that was a little creepy to me, and maybe it, it was the author trying to keep the a very uh, original series feeling to the story, but it, it had these little scenes where, like, Captain Pike was repeatedly leering at her breasts, and there's, like, one scene where they're, you know, he arm-wrestled this Klingon woman in the bar, and he ends up losing because he's staring at her chest. Um, and, and, they, and he made several comments about this, like how he was attracted to her. And, and even in the, the other storyline, there was several instances where he sort of mentions that he, he thinks of Yeoman cult as, you know, beautiful and fragile. And it, I guess that bothered me a little bit. Like it seems a little creepy. Like why is that in here? You know, um, hopefully your yeah. commanding officer would not be thinking of, uh, someone beneath him as beautiful and fragile. But, but. You almost wonder if it's trying, if the author was trying to be just like, um, you know, that be in that sixties mindset, because on the original yeah. series, they kind of, they, they treated women differently. And in, and in the cage, there was the time when he said something to number one, like something about a woman being on the bridge and she gave him a look. And I mean, that's if you watch the original episode, the cage. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I thought, like maybe the author's trying to keep the 60s feel to it. And he does actually go on to explain, you know, if you've seen The Cage, there's also where Captain Pike makes a comment about his yeoman being a woman. Um, and in this book, he actually ex- ta- sits down to yeoman, with yeoman called and explains to her that, you know, he apologizes sort of for saying that remark. Um, and basically just says that, you know, he had been very close to his previous yeoman, who was a man and, I guess, you know, they imply that he had died in the line of duty and he was having a hard time with that and he meant no ill will towards her and sort of regretted that he had said that. So he did kind of like try to explain that, but but still some of the little, you know, the repeated comments about him, you know, staring at the Klingon woman's breast and also the cat woman who he found himself strangely attracted to. It's just like a little unnecessary for me. It doesn't seem like high, no. Yeah, didn't seem like him. Um, but I did enjoy, you know, other humorous things the author kind of threw in there. Like there was one scene uh, where Pike is talking to the alien Perry, and he mentioned Perry mentions that um, they're introducing distilled liquor through an independent distributor named Harcourt Fenton Mud. Um, and I noticed that, yeah. <laughs> Pike doesn't know who he is because, of course, this episode, of, you know, hasn't happened yet, and that's going to be with Captain Kirk anyway. But, but I liked him throwing in little, uh, you know, references like that. Yeah, that was fun too. And so, um, I know there was the and the talk between Pike and Col- Colt when she asked him, "Why did you join Starfleet?" And it was she said, "Some people join because they want the." The, the glory, the, the rank being commanders and other people join for the adventure because they actually want to explore. And so they, Pike said he, he wanted the exploration and Colt said that's kind of why she joined too. Yeah. And they also, one thing he does in this book, um, 
and maybe I didn't like seeing him as much in this book because it's been done so many times in Kirk novels, which is, uh, at this point, Pike is a fleet captain, so he's no longer in command of a ship. He's back at start fleet headquarters at a desk job. And, you know, he, just like in the all the novels you see with Captain Kirk where, you know, he's now been promoted to admiral, Pike is feeling like he regrets that he gave up his command and he doesn't like being stuck at a desk job and he's longing for being back in the stars. And I kind of felt like that's just been done so much that I didn't know that I really wanted to see it here too, but... I know what you mean. Yeah, some, I think some people have to be happy to give up command because it's such a big responsibility. You're, you're in charge of all these lives and it seems like some people would just be like, okay, I'm, I'm over it now. I'm glad, I'm glad to have that, that burden off my back now, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I just, I would just would have been more interesting if he maybe, you know, cause in the beginning he does sort of say like, oh, you know, I'm, I've moved on and he seemed much more accepting of it than Kirk did. Uh, in in the novels or even in the movies. Um, but then he sort of goes back to that same pattern of wishing I could be back out in space. And maybe the author did that because we do, you know, find out eventually that Pike is going to be injured in space and maybe this is supposed to be tying it back into that. But, yes, he is going to go back out in space and that's where he's going to be injured, uh, you know, and so severely that the events of the cage take place and he ends up back on top and I wanted to mention how Pike, well, just compared to the Pike of, of Star Trek Discovery, I mean, you know, you can't really say that there's much difference, but, um, I, I mean, I think he, he's very, he's a lot the same. He still said that he, he believes in, in the Federation. And there was, there was a moment where he said he, he needed to ask, he, he would like to have asked something about Star, to, to send a message to Starfleet Command, but they wouldn't be able to respond in time. And he's out there. He has to make this decision on his own. I, th- I think a lot of that is is the Pike and Discovery, no, knowing what he needs to do and doing it now. Yeah, I agree. I at different times when I was reading this book, sometimes I was imagining Jeffrey Hunter, and other times I was imagining Anson Mount. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact just that I think Anson Mount's doing a really great job. Um, and although we didn't see Jeffrey Hunter, you know, for very much time on screen at all that Anson Mounts really captured sort of his personality and what we did see. Um, so I sort of saw them interchangeably in the story. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because now that we see, and just because Anson Mount has made such an impact. You, yeah. I mean, I think he, he is almost the person you naturally think of now when, uh, I mean, and because he also looks like Jeffrey Hunter too. So, so there's that. Yeah, I don't know that I think that they look that much alike, but I just think he, he he's really nailed the character and does it so well. And because you know Captain Pike is much more subtle and his personality much more understated than Captain Kirk, who's obviously you know his emotions are always right there. You, you always you know you always know what's going on in his mind, and Pike is more sort of you don't always know what he's thinking because he's got more of a a mask on his face, more of a cerebral kind of guy. That that is the yeah the difference in how they're portrayed on the shows. Um, so so any final thoughts about the book? Um, I guess I would say you know, just giving it a rating, I would rate it as okay to good. Um, the, I wouldn't say the writing itself was bad. I just found 
the storylines uh, with the Titans to be really drawn out and long. I mean, if you like long battle scenes, um, it might be something that you would like. Um, I also found those storylines to have a lot of this biological techno babble, which despite me trying to read it over and over again, sometimes just didn't make sense to me. Um, some of the explanations that they tried to give um, for why different things are happening with the Titans. Um, so, so that, that storyline, I would say if that was just, if the whole book were just that storyline on its own, I definitely wouldn't recommend it. Um, aside from maybe the fact that I did like the amount of time that human cold got. Um, and so it was nice to have her character, uh, see action and, and get to know her a bit better. Um, but I really enjoyed the captain's table, uh, chapters as short as they were. And there was really some funny moments in there. There was, uh, I, I made a note of some of them. There was one scene where Captain Pike orders a pizza and, uh, you get, it has mushrooms on it and the, Compact the Klingon woman says, Klingons do not eat fungus. And I, I just remembered, it just came out as Michael Dorn as Warwick, you know, saying that. I, I could just see her saying that. Yes. Um, so those were really fun chapters. Um, and if there was like just a little, you know, if it had been a different story he was telling, I would have liked it a lot more. So I kind of have mixed feelings about this book. Okay. And yeah, I don't think the, I don't think it's really intended for people to like the framing chapters more than, than the other. But, um, I'm, I mean, overall, I thought it was a good book. Oh, oh, and I want to say the, the bar scenes, it was sort of supposed to be like in a, it was almost like an interdimensional world when you step into the bar because people are from different time periods that all meet in that bar in one place. And, and part of it reminded me of the, the Dresden files because in, in those books they had some kind, they also had some type of, of a bar that only magical people could go to. And so I kind of associated it with that. Um, but I, I thought both stories were good. Uh, the frame story and the part with the, um, with the whales. I, I do think, I mean, yeah, the battle scenes were kind of drawn out, but I, but I do know that a lot of people like battle scenes. And so I'll give you that. And I think, but I do think that it was, it was a good, um, human story, ju- just like what Star Trek is good at. Um, there were no real enemies in this when you think about it. It didn't, it, you know, which it, which is like a Star Trek story. Um, the, the only villains were the, the Titans who just needed to be understood, basically, which is like a lot of the aliens on Star Trek. And so I, I did enjoy the story. I just think it was, this, this one was more of a, a, a light read though. It wasn't one of those, you know, for people who like the heavier, more epic stories, this wasn't one of those. This was just a fun story. So if you just want to read a good Star Trek story that has a good Star Trek theme, then that, that's what this is. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, we probably have to, you know, disagree about the content of it, but I don't think it was bad overall. And, um, I do, I, I haven't read the Dresden Files, but um, that is the one part of the book that I love the most. I sort of love the idea of this interdimensional bar where uh, different people from different time periods can meet there. Um, and some of the things that happened in the bar were really cool. Um, you know, like just the bathroom in the bar was pretty neat. Like, you know, there's, you just go into a room and things evaporate. There's no plumbing. Uh, it's just transported yeah. away. So that was kind of funny, but cool. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, if, if someone's familiar with the Captain's Table, uh, Captain's Table stories, they, I'm, I'm assuming it's the same 
theme where each captain gets transported into this interdimensional bar. So I think that I probably will read more of them because I do like that. Um, but as you said, it's light because it's being told from, it's basically a story of being told in the first person. So I tend to prefer books where it gets more into character development and what's going on into characters' minds. Um, uh, and, and you can't really get that in a first person story. Um, so definitely a more light story, but also a story that stands on its own. So uh, not one that you need to read a bunch of other stories to pick up on what's happening. Um, so that's a positive. Okay, thanks, Jen. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and join our Facebook group. Live long and may the force be with you. Nanu Nanu.